If uh, you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, hold up your hand. The ushers have extra Bibles. We'd be glad to let you use one of ours. Hold your hand real high. And let's all go to uh, Romans, the first chapter, and Luke chapter 4. Romans 1 and Luke chapter 4. In Romans 1 and 15. Romans 1.15, he says, so as much as in me is, everything that's in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I'm ready to preach what? The gospel. gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel literally means good report, good message, good news. Good message about what? It's the good report, the good message about how God has saved us through Jesus. We have been redeemed and he has done everything for us. He went to the cross. He gave himself spirit, soul, and body. He redeemed us spirit, soul, and body. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places. And given us everything that pertains. Unto life and godliness. It's the best news you ever heard. Right? You'll never hear any better news than this. But notice he goes on to say verse 16. He says for. I am not ashamed. Of the gospel of Christ. For it is. The power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, as we've said uh, previously, he wouldn't say, I'm not ashamed, unless there had been temptation to be ashamed, or pressure of some type to be ashamed of the gospel. And you can tell by the Spirit of God, he's resisting that pressure or that temptation, and he's saying, I am not, and I'm not going to be ashamed of this gospel. He was bold to proclaim it. So... Uh, The scripture tells us, like he said here, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't just talk about the power. It is the power of salvation to everyone that will believe it. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 4 talks about that uh, the people who don't believe, the gospel is hid to them because their mind has been blinded by the God of this world. That's one of the reasons why he would pressure Preachers, all pastors and evangelists and all believers to to try to suppress the bold and free uh, proclaiming and telling uh, of the gospel. Because as long as he can keep people uh, in the dark about the gospel, he can keep them from the power that will save them. He can keep them in darkness and spiritual death and bondage. But I am not ashamed. Come on, say it out loud. I am not ashamed. ashamed. Uh, Part of the definition of being bold is being free. Free. Free to speak. Free to say it. And if somebody, you know, uh, that you can find yourself in situations where you are the only one in the room that believes like you do. (laughs) And and people can say, or if they don't say it, they give you the look or they imply, you're one of them. And it's not time for you to start backpedaling or start uh, explaining or comprehend. No, no. You just go, yeah. Not only am I one of them, I'm one of the ringleaders, one of them. Yeah. Tongue talker, that's me. Miracle believer, me again. Huh? Healing believing, gifts of the Spirit, sowing and reaping, prosperity believing, that's me. Yep. Not only is that me, and I'm not ashamed of it, you ought to be just like me. Everybody should be this way. Everybody. And so instead of you being intimidated that you're not like them, they should be influenced to be like you. But they won't be if you're bashful and timid and ashamed of it. Say it again. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel of Christ. Go to Luke the fourth chapter please. Luke chapter four. Luke 4.18. 
Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel. Not preach social reform, diet and exercise, (laughs) emergency procedures, and any number of other things. What are we supposed to preach? The good news of what Jesus has done, because that is the power that saves anybody that will believe it. Now, he mentions to a specific group of people in this passage, the good news to who? The poor. What is good news to the poor? Well, you've been here before. (laughs) But in case somebody hadn't, you know, some people have said, well, well, you know, in their mind, whether they say it or not, they're thinking, well, the good news to the poor is you can be born again. And not go to hell. But no. That's good news to the lost. And if you read the rest of the passage. You'll see that the answer. Is the opposite of the problem. Right. He sent me to heal the broken hearted. What's good news to the broken hearted? Be healed. Uh, and preach deliverance to the captives. Good news to the captives is what? Not, not the new birth. Deliverance. And good news. Recovering a sight to the blind. And set at liberty them that are bruised. What's good news if you've been all bound up and shackled up? Uh, Liberty. What's good news if you're poor? You don't have to stay poor. I don't care if you live in a cardboard box. Good news. Good news. When the Lord took care of your sins, he also made provision for you to have some money and stuff. And have what you need in this life materially. Now, there's a lot of people who would try to make us ashamed for preaching that and believing that, but that is part of the gospel, and I'm not ashamed of it. How about you? It has never been the will of God for anybody to be poor. And it is not the will of God for anybody on the planet right now to be poor. I know it's bold. I know it's strong. But it's the Bible. And the problem is, there is this, even among so-called word and faith people, there is this remnant, whether they say it or not, that, you know, they, they're glad that they're better off than a lot of other people, but kind of feel guilty about it, that you got so much when some have so little. Why would you feel guilty? And why would you feel the need to always try to explain or modify if the Lord helped you to get something nice and expensive? And people go, oh, you got one of them. And immediately you go in to try to explain, well, you know, I didn't pay full price and or this or that. Why would, why is that your first response? It's because you still believe some way, somehow, That it's God's will for some people to be broke and poor and you're just secretly thankful that it wasn't his will for you to be (laughs) live in abject poverty and you kind of feel guilty about it, but you, you know, and you feel like you owe them something. And this is a key component in a lot of criminal mentality. A lot of criminal mentality involves resenting that other people have a better life and more stuff than they do and a belief that they owe me. I've had a bad life. I've experienced lack. And, and, and you know, all these people got all this and they don't even have to appreciate all of it. They owe me. And those two mentalities will keep you poor from now on and make you poorer. Let's look at some scripture to remind ourselves. It has never been the will of God for anybody to be poor. Do you believe that or not? Go with me to Deuteronomy 15, or they'll put it up on the screen for us. Deuteronomy 
15. You know, there are no redeeming qualities about being poor. There is no good side to being sick. You can say, well, you know, I got back to God when I got so sick. Well, thank God you did. But if it took you getting that low to decide to get back to God, you were just slow <laughs> and hard-headed. I know that's not traditional preaching. We heard another one of those holy cows. <laughs> we hit another one, didn't we? We've hit a few on these series, haven't we? Some things need to be done away with. This stuff is choking Christians, is keeping people poor. It's a wonderful thing to be able to have the Lord use you to minister to somebody who's in need. I mean, there are many scriptures that talk about don't despise the poor, don't take advantage of people that are poor. There are numerous scriptures that talk about if you give to the poor, the Lord will pay you back. You will never lack. I mean, on and on. It's wonderful to minister to people when they're in a time of need. But the person on the other end receiving the help should never be content to be in that place and dependent on somebody else to need their help the rest of their life. And God never intended that. He intended to help you. And this is, this is a big part of the good news to the poor. That no matter if you're living in a ditch today. You come to Jesus. And in a short amount of time. You could be helping other people get out of the ditch. With your new resources. But this stuff about. It's just. You know. Their lot in life. And nobody knows why God does these things this way. But you know. Without saying it. They are saying it's his will. For some to be poor. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. Don't you ever believe that? In Deuteronomy 15.4, in the God's Word translation, in the Old Covenant, He told them, do what I'm, I'm instructing you to do. And what did He say? In any case, there shouldn't be any poor people among you. If you'll do what I tell you to do. Because the Lord your God will certainly bless you in the land... He's giving you as your own possession. The New Century version. Let me read 4 and 5. New Century. There should be no poor people among you. I want you to say that out loud. There should be no poor people among you. You believe that or not? There should be. Now, how many churches you think believe that? Absolutely believe that. And yet we're reading out of the Bible. There should be no poor people among you because the Lord your God will richly bless you in the land he's given you as your own. The NCV. He will bless you if you obey the Lord your God completely. But you must be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. See, that's the problem. You got to do what he told you to do. That's where the rub comes in. (laughs) Because folks... Want to do what they want to do. When they want to do it. And how they want to do it. And that creates the problem. That creates the door. For the enemy. The destroyer to work. And so you got people that will get indignant. Go well I don't believe all that. If it was God's will. For everybody to be well off. Then they'd all be well off. Because he's God. Well, why don't they believe the same thing by saying, if it's God's will for everybody to be free from sin and be born again, they'd all be born again. And the same thing, well, if it's God's will for everybody to be healed, they'd all be healed. No. No. People have a free will. Don't they? They can believe or not believe. They can obey or not obey. Right? And the reason, the number one reason More than the devil, more than anything else, while there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there's so much lack, there's so much terrible stuff in the earth, is because people have a free will and they have chosen wrong. They have chosen not to believe, not to obey, and the wages of sin is death. 
And we can't control everybody. But we can sure control what we believe. Right? And we can choose to believe. Didn't the Lord say, I set before you. Hmm? Life, death, blessing, cursing. He didn't pause long. He gave us a hint. Choose life. Right? Choose life. So you and your kids can live. And have a good life. And Jesus said, this is why I came. That you might have life and have it to the full and to the overflowing. Have it abundantly. Amplified says, have and enjoy life. That's good news. I said, that's good news. Do you know that many churches for the gospel have substituted a doctrine of suffering in the place of the gospel? That we are called to a life of suffering? Now that's another subject. And you got to be willing to suffer persecution. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But if you read Peter carefully, it talks about two reasons for suffering. If you haven't seen this, look at it carefully. Read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. They're real short, real carefully. And you'll see it's the emphasis is suffering and glory is the theme. And you'll find he mentions two causes for suffering. One of them is suffering for the Lord. And it involves persecution. The other is suffering for your own mistakes. And there's no reward for that. (laughs) That's suffering for being dumb. (laughs) And there's no good going to come out of any. And the reason I say it is because there's all kind of people are suffering all kind of stuff just because of their own mistakes. And they are calling it suffering for the Lord. And it is not. It is not. And you don't suffer for him what he suffered for you. He took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. He became poor so we could be rich. We may suffer a lot of stuff, but we're not supposed to suffer being in sin or broke or depressed or sick. Come on, are you listening to me? We need to be free and have peace and have health and have money so we can go preach this gospel, get this job done, fulfill the Great Commission. You can see why the devil has pushed this so hard. Because if he can keep us believing it's God's will for us to be sick and broke and down, we will be nothing, we will have nothing, we will do nothing, and our life will be over. We will have missed our opportunity. I'm not ashamed of the good news to the poor. We're going to proclaim it. And we're going to get everything we need and more besides. And do this thing that he has called us to do. Somebody say, so be it. Say, say amen. Look in uh, Acts, the book of Acts in the fourth chapter. In the old covenant, it wasn't God's will that anybody be poor. He said so. He said, you do what I tell you to do, and uh, there'll be no poor among you. What a thought. In the beginning days of the church, it happened. You remember in Acts, the fourth chapter, and the 34th verse in the NIV? Says it like this, there were no needy persons among them. The New Century Version says, no one in the group needed anything. Complete Jewish Bible says, not one among them was poor. How many? Now, how big was this church? You remember when Peter first preached, thousands got saved. Just a few uh, after the healing uh, of the the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, thousands more got saved. And it said that that the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. It's probably a 10,000 member church. And you can't find one? One? You know, when God brought his people Israel out of Egyptian bondage, you remember what it said? He brought them forth with silver and with gold. And there was not one feeble person among all their tribes. This is a nation of slaves that have been worked like animals and undernourished and not cared for. There had to be people hurting and sick. Something miraculous happened to them when he brought them out. And this is all a type 
of the new covenant. We don't have a worse covenant than they had. We got a better covenant. Established upon better. You know what better is? A hundred dollar bill is better than a fifty. Oh yeah, every time, every time. Ain't no need to argue about it. A hundred dollar bill is always and in every way better than a fifty. Why? Because a hundred has got the fifty in it. Plus, our covenant's got everything they ever had. Come on, are you listening to me? Plus, plus, we got the Spirit of God living inside us 24-7. Got the name of Jesus. Plus, plus, plus. You could get excited about this, could you? <laughs> we know in the Old Covenant, not God's will that anybody be poor. In the New Testament, it came to pass, not one feeble. And when all this is said and done, will there be poor people in heaven? Revelation 7. Revelation 7 and oh, 13 through 17 or so, it talks about those who are robed in white robes and washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Said said uh, they will hunger no more, verse 16. They won't thirst anymore. The sun won't light on them or heat anymore. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, will feed them and he'll lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. It has never been the will of God for people to be in want and lack. It's not now and it never will be. Amen. Do you believe it? Yes. Now in talking about good news to the poor. The good news is that he took that and bore it. And it's not his will for any to be poor. That's good news when you find that out. But once you have found out the good news. What do you do then? What do you do next? Let's say you're living in a cardboard box. And you find out that Jesus loves you. And he's paid the price for you. And you hear also that he has made provision for you to have some material substance. And for have all your needs met. And so you believe on him. And you're born again. But you still live in a cardboard box. What next? Well the Bible said faith without works is dead. You got to act on the truth. You got to act on the good news. And part of the good news is that God is the multiplier of seed and that He gives seed to the sower. He gives you starter seed. You have nothing. And he will minister. Minister means he will choreograph a scenario and situation where you wind up in the right place at the right time and seed gets in your hand. You had nothing. But then you got to have enough faith to plant that seed. Which means give. Luke 6.38. Anybody know it? Believe it? What does it say Luke 6.38? What? Jesus said these are red letters. Give. And what will happen? It shall be given to you, not just what you gave, but what you gave multiplied. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He'll use people to get it back to you. And the same measure you meet or sowed, that's how it'll be determined to come back to you. The Lord said this to me uh, uh, some years ago in helping us get out of our, our poverty. He said, you sow in fives, you reap in fives. He didn't say you sow a five, you reap a five. But you sow a five, you don't reap hundreds multiplied. You reap fives multiplied. That's what he said. Whatever measure, a denomination is a measure. A size, an amount is a measure. So, if you, we begin to get the vision of, of increasing our increments, and then we begin to see for the we we begin to see amounts come in we'd never seen before. Right. Reckon there's any connection? Yeah. <laughs> you, th- this is something we need to look at and ask and answer from the scriptures. Should the poor give? Yes. yes. Should they? Yes. Now you'll find among many the mentality that, you know, with what I have and the way I live, 
no one should expect me to do anything. And be insulted if anybody acted like they, they should expect you. Not only do they think, well, nobody should expect me, you know, with, with what little I have. Nobody should expect me to give, do anything. Not only that, but they have the entitlement mentality that if you have so much more than I do, you ought to do something for me. You owe me something. These are unbiblical, ungodly ideas. And they will keep you poor and broke the rest of your life. Should the poor give? What do you think? Let's look at some scriptures. I know how you like looking at scriptures. <laughs> Leviticus 5. We should observe the precedence set in all the word of God. It answers questions for us. And in him telling them how to give offerings, you will see a principle applied to those who had less. In Leviticus 5, he told the people, bring this certain amount. You know, sometimes he'd say, bring a bull and bring three lambs and bring X amount of flour and bring this. But then he would also say, after he had said that, verse 7, Leviticus 5, 7, he'd say, and if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass two turtle doves, two pigeons, because they were cheaper and easy to get a hold of, rather than a, a lamb. And verse 11, if he's not able to bring the two turtle doves, well then that's poor enough that just forget it. Just, you know, I mean, if you can't get a hold of a dove, then <laughs> he'll just stand there. You don't, don't try to give. We'll give you something. Bless your heart. That is religious thinking that keeps poor people poor. It's a wonderful thing for God to use you to minister to somebody when they're in need. But like we've already said, they should never in their mind think that you're going to take care of them from now on, or the church, or the government. Come on, are you listening? Because that's being provider. And that's them thinking, well, this is my lot in life. I'm going to have to be dependent on other people for handouts. That's just, I don't like it, but that's what God's given me. No, it's not. That's not true. That's not true. If he's not able to bring that, verse 11, then he can bring the tenth part of an ephah. Not a whole ephah, just the tenth part of an ephah of fine flour. If he can get his hands on some flour, he can bring that. But he brings something. You never see a scenario where they say, well, if he's that poor, he brings nothing. No, he brings something. You'll see this in Leviticus 12. You'll see it again in Leviticus 14. In Leviticus 14.10, let's look at that. He tells them in this certain offering that you bring two he lambs, you bring one ewe lamb, you bring three tenth deals of flour, and you bring the oil. But verse 21, Leviticus 14, verse 21, if he be poor and he cannot get so much, then he'll take one lamb, that's instead of three, and he'll take one-tenth deal of oil, and he will take two turtle doves and two pigeons. So, verse 31, even such as he's able to get. And some offerings, the Lord is very specific. Everybody gives the same. I don't care how much you've got or don't have. I don't care if you're a billionaire or you're living on the street. Everybody on this offering gives this amount. One of them was the Exodus 30 and 15. Exodus 30 and 15 he said, the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than this half shekel on this offering. Everybody gives the same on this. Friends, can you see? There's no such thing as somebody that can't do anything. Some years ago, the Lord ministered this to me. It surprised me. I wasn't expecting it. I was out on the road in a place in a conference and a lady came up to me she was older and, and she described to me how she was on a fixed income. And how many know you shouldn't say that? 
<laughs> and uh, how that she had some grandkids and some stuff. And she said, your ministry has sent to me CDs, DVDs, tapes. I forget what she said at that time. 18 years at that time or something. And she said, it has been a word in season for me. I needed it. It helped me so much. You And I ne- she said, I've never sent you a dime. And you have sent this to me all these years. And she said, I want to, I said, that's great. That's great. I'm glad we could send it. It, It's okay. I was talking about it's okay that you've never sent me a dime. It's okay. No problem. And I'm walking away. And as I'm walking away, the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't mean to heard a voice. I was already trying to think about something else. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, that's not okay. That's not okay. Could she, she said, I've never, I've never sent a dime. Could she have sent a dime? If she had sent a quarter a month, I would consider her just as much a partner as anybody else. Because I don't know what people's ability is. Now see, sometimes folk don't like hearing that. They went, mm. The only excuse for doing nothing is if you really had Nothing. Who couldn't send a quarter a month and be a partner? And people say, well, that's, that don't amount to anything. It's a lot more involved than the amount. It's do you care enough? Do you believe in God enough to even try? So you got all kind of people that think because they have little, they're excused in doing nothing. And just because the preacher told you it was okay for you not to do anything, doesn't mean the Lord told you it was okay. Everybody can do something. And everybody should do something. You know, this is one reason why a lot of people do not attend church regularly. They just drop in once in a while because they don't want it to be obvious that they're not doing anything. And this is also why some folks that could attend church, watch by TV and by internet only, because then it's not obvious that they're never given anything and they're never serving anything. They don't serve on any teams. They don't give anything. I'm talking about year after year after year. This is not okay. Now, you know, we'll make it, whether folks do it or not. The Lord will raise up others. He will increase others. Right? And we'll get their blessings. Because we'll do ours and theirs. But I don't want to see that. Do you? It's important. That we do what we can. While we can. Because time is short. Life is passing by. And you should should be able to leave this life. and, And have some rewards. Of some things that you've done. Everybody should serve. Be a blessing to the other brothers and sisters. Do something. And don't say you can't do anything. You can do something. If you got a breath, if you got an ounce of strength in your arm, if you got a quarter in your pocket, you can do something. That's not nothing, it's something. And here's the great thing. The anointing of increase is the multiplication of the seed. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. What if you had never been to this planet before? I know you got to kind of stretch yourself on this, but you just show up and you don't know anything about this planet or anything on it. And you show up and we look at you and you go, here, hold out your hand and you put a seed in it. You go, put that in the ground and wait a little while and it'll turn into 30 of them. You'd look and go, what? This, it'll turn into 30? might turn into 50. It'll just turn into 50 just like it. That's how the poor can be poor no more. Even if it's tiny, even if it's so little, how does one become 20? And 20 become 2,000. And 2,000 become 2 million. It is the anointing of increase. It is the multiplication of the seed. I can tell some folks need some more scriptures. So here we go. (laughs) Go to Mark. (laughs) The 12th chapter. 
And don't think in your mind, well, I don't know if I agree with Brother Keith or not. Forget about me. Are we reading scriptures? Make up your mind about, make, make this, but leave me out of this, please. This is between you and him. Make, make, get, get, get this right now, between you and him. And there's nothing negative in this. This is about everybody that's poor being poor no more. That's a good thing. How does it happen? Well, they have to hear the gospel. And they have to believe the gospel. And they have to act on the good news. And part of this good news is the miracle of sowing and reaping. Giving and receiving. Give and it will be given to you. Multiplied. Listen to Mark 12 and 41. Amplified. Mark 12, 41 amplified. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. And saw how the crowd were casting money into the treasury. And many rich people were throwing in large sums. The the BBE says he took a seat by the place where the money was kept. And saw or watched how the people put the money in the boxes. What if I followed Jesus' example today? (laughs) And we put the offering receptacle down here. And everybody had to come by it. And I, I just put me a chair right beside the bucket. And I watched to see how much everybody was putting in. And I said, wait, wait a minute. Turn it over where I can see it. Okay. All right. Ah, people would go, I'm never going to that church again. And yet I would be following Jesus' example. He did it. He sat there and he watched exactly how much everybody put in. You know, didn't this Bible say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Reggie still watches offerings and, and how much people put in. Verse 42. Some people were putting a lot in. But there came a poor widow. A widow who was poor or poverty stricken widow. And she came and put in. Put in what? In the offering. Two copper mites, the smallest of coins, which together, added together, make half of a cent. Point five, not not five, point five cents. Now you would think if there's anybody that would be exempted, relieved from giving an offerings, it'd be poverty stricken widows. That nobody should expect them. To give anything. Especially their last penny. But Jesus is sitting there watching this. And she comes with her two little tiny copper coins. Which together make up less than a penny. Half a cent. And she puts them in. Notice what Jesus says. He called his disciples to them. And he said to them. I can't take this. Here sister. You take them little coins back and guys, give her some money. No. He said she gave it. What does that mean? It means it stayed in the offering and they spent it on whatever kind of temple stuff they spent it on. And she walked out of the door without a cent to her name in this world. Selah. He called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I tell you, this widow, poverty stricken, has put in more than all those contributing to the treasury. Keep reading. For they all threw in out of their abundance. Other translations say their surplus, what they could spare. But she out of her deep poverty has put in everything that she had, even all she had on which to live. This was everything she had in the world to get her through the next day, the next week, the end of the month. And the Lord let her put it in and let it stay and commended about it like it was a great thing. Didn't he? Now this is vastly different than most religious mentality. A lot of people would say, I I couldn't, I can't stand that. No. I'd say, no, sister. Here, keep your little coins and here, let me give you something. 
Are you going to feed her next week too? And next month? Are you going to provide clothing for her to wear? And if she's got any kids or grandkids, them too? And a house to live in? Huh? The rest of their lives? Are you going to see that her kids get college education and, and pay for their weddings? And Then don't stand up now and try to be their provider. And act like you're the source. And act like there's no God. Or act like if he is, he's not good enough or faithful enough to be able to take care of this woman that's trusting him and sowing to him. Come on, can you listen? There's a lot of warped stuff in the church. And if we're going to get to where we need to get, we got to get rid of this junk. We got to get it out of us. You don't misunderstand me. I, you know, it, it takes some humility sometimes to receive from folks. And I, all I want to know is, is it right? Is the Lord really in this? And I check my heart. And there's been, there, there's times that you, you talk to people and you, say, and you try to find out, okay, now is the Lord really leading them to do this? But if he is, do not stand in their way. And do not stand in God's way. And do not try to act like you can be their source, which you can never be. I've had the Lord deal with me to, to sow things to people. And sometimes they were the, the best thing I had. It was the most precious thing I had. And I've had people look at me and say, I can't take that. I can't receive that. And I said, sure you can. You open your hand. I'll put it in there. You close it. And you got it. And, and this one guy told me, he said, no, I, I'm sorry, but I, Brother Keith, I can't. I just can't take that. And he wouldn't receive it. I smiled. And he didn't know it, but he made me mad. He never knew it, I don't think. Why? You know, today, even today, in some cultures, to refuse a gift, it's like asking for a war. It's like saying to a man, you're not good enough for me and your stuff is not good enough for me. And I don't want any part of you. I don't want to be involved in any covenant stuff with you. And what people are saying, maybe they don't mean it, but they're saying, you didn't hear from God. You don't know what you're doing. And I, I, I'm denying you an opportunity to have the harvest you need. I will not receive. I will not be a part of this. This is serious stuff, isn't it? We need to pray. We need to have our hearts open. We need to keep our eyes open. And not try to act like we can be anybody's source. Because we can't. Do you think that this woman put in her two little coins and left out of there. And her and she had any kids or anybody else. They starved to death before the month was over. What do you think? Huh? <laughs> no how. No way. Not with the God we have. Come on. Do you believe it? Why? Because why would a woman come in here and everything she's got in this world put in an offering? Nobody's making her and she wants to do it. And she's, why would you do that? You must believe that there's a God. Come on. You must believe that there's a God who's going to take care of you and help you. And you're honoring him. These things are precious. These things are holy. That's one of the reasons I think Ananias and Sapphira fell dead in that situation because people in the church were selling the houses. They were liquidating properties that had been in their family for years and they were sowing, man, they were sowing beyond what anybody had ever heard about. And these guys came in here and lied about it and tried to, what they were doing is mocking what these people were doing. And it's so precious to God, the judgment came immediately. It couldn't be tolerated. These things, people mock it, they make fun of it, and don't misunderstand me. There are some lying, thieving preachers around. But there's some lying, thieving doctors and lawyers and everything else around, right, too. <laughs> it doesn't do away with the real. There has always been the real, and there still is the real. And you got the Holy Spirit, be led. Be led. Something don't seem right to you and don't bear witness with you, well, get away from it. Don't get involved. But that doesn't justify you from going year after year after year and never doing anything with anybody anywhere. Get where God told you to get. There's somebody you can believe with and believe in, be a part of, 
and get hooked full. Right? Serve God with all your heart. Be willing to give and do anything and everything. And you'll find out you'll begin to be the happiest you've ever been in your life. The most fulfilled, the most complete, and the most blessed. Do you believe it? Jeremiah 49, 11. Just hear a couple of reasons why I know this woman did not starve before the month was out. Jeremiah 49, 11 says, leave your fatherless children. I will preserve them alive and let your widows trust me. Trust me and die? No. No. Trust me and be taken care of. Psalm 146. Let's read this whole psalm. Psalm 146. It's short. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises to God while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Don't you put your trust in people? Government reform? This one or that rich person is going to take care of you? They can die for the days of. Then what you going to do? Your provider's gone. I'm going to stick with one who's always been around and always will be around, come on, and can never run out. Verse 5, happy is he, that's us, that has the God of Jacob for his help and whose hope is in the Lord his God. Keep reading. Which God which made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that therein is, which keeps truth forever. Which executes judgment for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord looses the prisoners. The Lord opens eyes of the blind. The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. This sounds like Luke 4.18, don't it? Keep reading. The Lord preserves the stranger. And what does he do? Don't impoverish the fatherless and the widow. He relieves them. So according to his word, which cannot lie, after this woman sowed this offering, what happened to her? She got some relief. She got some financial relief. Some material help. You know God took care of her. You know Jesus did not stand there and watch that woman sow that seed and have her leave and perish. No way. No how. Look in uh, 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17. We're getting free from some junk. The truth will make you free. Is all this good news to somebody that's in lack and in need? It's the best news. 1 Kings 17 and 8. The word of the Lord came to the man of God, the prophet, and said to him, Verse 9, arise, get you to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon. There was a drought and a severe famine going on. Talk about hard times, bad times. Go to Zidon and dwell there, live there. Behold, I have commanded the First National Bank. (laughs) Uh -uh. Uh -uh. The biggest hotels and restaurants in town. No, Uh uh-uh. I've commanded a widow woman there to take care of you, sustain you. Now, I don't know how much the widow woman knew about this at this point. (laughs) Something was going on in her, but preparing her. But just knowing the Lord a little bit, I know he don't give you all the details, you know. (laughs) So he goes. And let's keep reading. He arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering sticks. Just happens the first thing he sees when he comes through the gates, a widow woman. I'm sure he's thinking, wonder if this is her. So he called to her. He said, uh, could you get me a, a drink of water, please? And, and maybe a cup and some water in a cup. Now remember, drought, famine. And verse 11. And she was going to get it. This tells you a lot about her right now. Doesn't it? Why did the Lord choose her? In fact, remember Jesus said in the days of Elijah the prophet, there were many widows in this place. But he only sent this man to one of them. Why did he send her, him to her? There's no question. Well, the, way, the reason is because of the way this story turned out. 
She's going to get it. And then he called her on her way and he said, you know why you're going? If you could bring me a bite of bread. Famine. People are starving to death for lack of something to eat. And he's asking for a piece of bread. Verse 12. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I have not a cake. I don't have a piece of bread to give you a bite off of. I've got a handful. Somebody say handful. A handful of meal in a barrel. How many know a handful in a barrel don't look like much? You take the top off the barrel, you look down in the barrel, and there's a handful in the bottom. (laughs) Talk about bottom of the barrel. That's where she was. And she said, I got a little oil in a cruise, a little bit. And I am gathering these couple of sticks, and I'm going to go in and fix it for me and my son, and we're going to eat it, and then I guess we're going to die, because we don't have anything else. We're out. Verse 13. Elijah said, fear not, but go and do like you said, go fix it. But make me a little cake first. <laughs> now you can just almost hear folks, you know, thinking, what a sorry individual. Isn't that like, you know, these, these prosperity preachers are the lowest scum on the planet. <laughs> Take food out of a widow woman and her baby's mouth. But you know who talks like that? People who don't believe in God. Because is this a man of God? Did the Lord tell him you go to this place and I've prepared this woman? Is he telling him what to say? If anybody ought to be exempted from giving, it'd be a starving widow and her little kid. That you could say, oh, no, guys, no. Y'all don't try to give it on this. Let us help you. But like I said, you're not their provider. You can't take care of them the rest of their life. He said, do what you said. But make me a little cake first. Why would the Lord tell her to do this? Because this is an act of faith to put God first. Not just this man. This man represents God. Speaks for God. Putting God first. Is she in a desperate situation? What if you have got two sticks, a dab of oil, and a handful of meal. What's the key to you coming out and being able to eat and be okay? He said, do it. And then after, make the rest for you and your son. Verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the crews of oil fail till the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth for the rest of this ordeal, the rest of this economic downturn, the rest of, come on, are you listening now? The rest of this problem. Verse 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. That's why even though there were many widows around in that time, he went to her. Why the Lord led him to her? Because she had the faith to do this. She believed enough in God to do it. She did it. She went and made her little cake. She brought this as an offering to the Lord, the first part of it. How many think you ought to put God first? His stuff first. Then your stuff. And she and he and her house did eat many days. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Verse 16, the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the crews of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Not not a day or two, not just a week, many days. I guess this is months and months. I don't, years, if you look at the end of it, until the famine was over. How does a handful turn into enough to feed you for months? It is The anointing of increase, which is the multiplication of the seed. But you got to have enough faith in God and in sowing and reaping to sow your seed. We've been there. Phyllis and I have been there. 
So we have, well, we, we talked about it Thursday night. One of the first offerings we sold, we had $10 to our name. And don't get, don't get scared. The offering's already been received. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to ask you for anything or pull on anybody for anything. But I'm telling you how anybody, no matter how low they are, can come up and come out and not only have all your needs met, but in a short amount of time, God's using you to help other people in need. It is the secret of how a handful becomes enough to feed you for months. It is the multiplication, supernatural multiplication of seed. Oh, somebody say glory to God. 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 Go to 2 Corinthians 8 in closing, I think. 2 Corinthians 8. Now, a lie that too many church-going people, Christians, are believing is that if I had more, I would do more. And because I have so little, nobody should reasonably expect me to be involved or do anything. Because I have little, I'm okay doing nothing. If you have little... You should do a little. The only excuse for doing nothing is if you had absolutely nothing. If you got something, you can do something. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. There's a lot of people, their pride chokes them. If they can't do something substantial, they won't do anything because they're ashamed. They don't want anybody to know where they are and where their amounts are. Then you got to get free with that or, or it'll choke you. It'll hold you down. I know back years ago, the Lord dealt with me to sow to a, a minister who was having some meetings in the area. And uh, I had $5. That was it. And I waited a day or two longer than I should have because I didn't want to give that $5. Because it was just $5. And I thought, boy, quit being so proud. That's where you are. That's where you are. And don't miss God. Over your pride. So I went to him. And I said brother. I said. Uh, uh, I, I sure appreciate your ministry. And I just want to sow this into you. And I watered it up. So he couldn't tell what it was. <laughs> and, and I you know, gave him one of them Pentecostal handshakes. You know, Because it covers the whole thing up. You can't see. see. <laughs> and he said. He said thank God. He said I, I was. I was needing a little something right now. And he said, thank God. I tell you, the Holy Spirit came on me and him. We looked at each other and tears rolled down our cheeks. And we began to say, glory to God. Glory. I mean, you talk about a $5 blessing. <laughs> it was well beyond that. Why? It ain't about the $5. It's about the heart and the faith and the love and the obedience. And how are you ever going to turn five into 5,000? By sowing the five. And getting in faith about it. Come on, can you see this, saints? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 in the NIV. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. He said, now brothers, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Verse 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, do you hear these terms together in the same sentence? Rich generosity in the same sentence as extreme poverty. Is it possible to be very poor and yet very generous. I don't care what you don't have. You can be as generous as anybody. On the planet. Your generosity is not restricted. Because of lack of resources. You believe it or not. Verse 3. 
I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. That means nobody's making them do it. Nobody's pulling on them or pushing them to do it entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now, that's a big difference from some preacher trying to urge somebody to give. They're pulling on the preacher. Please let us be a part of this. That's a right heart, isn't it? I think I've told you this before, but it'll bear repetition. We were up actually in in Canada years ago doing a meeting. Phyllis and I were together doing the meeting. And a a word of knowledge came. Uh, Phyllis got it. A word of knowledge about a woman there that had a bill that was several weeks past due and she was desperate to pay it. And the Lord gave her the amount. I mean, I forget what it was. $312.46, that kind of thing specific. And so we had everybody close their eyes. Nobody looking around. Is there anybody? She said, you got the bill in your purse. And is there somebody in here that's got a bill for that amount in their purse? One woman. One woman. And the whole crowd stuck her hand up kind of timidly. We said, okay, uh, pastor and head usher so-and-so, only one, open your eyes. You see them? Okay, after the service, you can get you can get to them. Okay. Put your hand down. Everybody open up your eyes. And we said, well, we feel like we should give, I think it was $100 towards that. Somebody else said, I'm going to sow $100 too. Somebody else said, I'm going to sow $100 too. Somebody said, I'm going to sow $100 too. I'm going to sow $100 too. Well, she already had more than the bill. said, well, glory to God. It's taken care of. We shouted. I went on to start to preach. And I could just feel the people weren't with me. And finally I stopped and I said, what's the deal? <laughs> I just looked at them. Because you know, they were just... You can tell if you're trying to push a car and somebody's got their foot on the brake pedal. You, you can tell. That's what was going on. So finally I stopped pushing. I said, hey, what's the deal? And one person in the back said, we want to give too. I said, oh, you do? They said, several voices, yes, we want to too. I said, well, give. And people brought money. And I, I forget her little hundred dollar bill. She got a couple of thousand dollars. Just like that. And come to find out, it was her first time to ever visit the church. I think they said she came back. Isn't that great though? But you can see that kind of heart when the people said, hey, we want to get in on that. We want to be a part of that. And no matter how little you have, if you have anything, you can be a part. And a significant part. God brought attention to less than a penny offering. Didn't he? Made a big deal out of it. Said shout gave everybody there. You know that surprised some of those folks. Because they're bringing coin too. So they're bringing a lap full of coins. And it makes a big noise. All the clinking and chinking. And she comes by. And you barely hear hers. And I'm sure they thought they were the biggest givers around. And Jesus gets up and says, she outgave everybody in the house today. Blew you away. I'm sure some of the rich guys were thinking, what? No way. Yes way. Because you gave what you could spare. She gave everything she had. You can't give any more than everything you got. So that means nobody, no matter how much money they got, no one has the ability to outgive you. According to Jesus. And I'm on side with him. How about you? Verse 12. Verse 12. For if the willingness is there, what makes the gift acceptable? Not the size of the amount, the heart, the willingness, the desire, the faith, the love. If the willingness is there, The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one, what he does not have. It's not based on what you might get someday somehow. See, people are missing it right and left. They're doing nothing, 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 nothing. And they're thinking, one of these days when I get caught up, and I get my house paid off, and I get the kids taken care of, I'm going to do something substantial. No, you're not. That day's never coming. 
Mm-mm. You believe in a lie. Because according to Jesus, Luke 16, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much. The truth is, if you had ten times what you've got right now, you would be doing the very same thing with it. According to Jesus. So if you're not giving with what you got right now, if you had a hundred times that, you wouldn't be giving either. Well, I think I would. Well, I, I'm going to agree with Jesus. He said you wouldn't. He said you would do exactly the same thing with what you're doing right now, which is why stewardship is such a big deal to him. He looks at somebody that's faithful with a small thing, with a small opportunity, with a small opening, with a few dollars, with a this, with a that. And if he sees you appreciate it, you do everything you can with it, you obey him fully with it, you're free hearted with it, he knows that's somebody I can give more to. And he will increase it. And he will advance it. And he'll give you greater opportunities and let you handle greater amounts. Do you believe it? So this thing about one of these days when my ship comes in, when I, that's, honey, ain't no ship coming. Ain't no ship left port. <laughs> You're just sitting on the dock of the bay. <laughs> Wasting time. <laughs> Everybody stand up. On that note. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.